This is Restless. We are so back with Restless Summer, the postmortem on the young, restless, and reformed. Pastor Michael, we are so back on Restless Summer. I rode on a slip and slide with my kids today, and I am currently holding a margarita in my glass <laughs> as we record. It's true. He right showed now. it on video. It's true. He showed it on video. No lie. No cap. No cap. It was, you didn't have summer. like one of those cool little... Uh, you know, little umbrellas that you put in it. So you should have got one of those, but I didn't, I didn't, I guess we're doing okay. Well, I just finished off a milkshake. So that's that's a very, uh, very summer, restless summery. Um, so today for restless summer, as we've been doing this, you know, series of interviews, um, we have, uh, someone who I met because I was reading or using, um, John Calvin's institutes in a coffee shop. And he walked up to me to talk because of, uh, what he saw. And so uh, this is my good friend, Jacob Eikers, Pastor Jacob Eikers. Uh, Pastor Eikers, you want to say hi, introduce yourself? Hi, I'm I'm Pastor Jacob Eikers. I'm the pastor at Faith Lutheran Church in La Crosse, Wisconsin. Um, what, what else What else do you want me to have oh, people know? Make sure people know which denomination. Which, oh, sure. Which, yeah. Yeah. Which kind of Lutheran we're talking yeah, we're, about. We're uh, Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Um, mm-hmm. So we could talk more about that as the interview goes on. Yeah, yeah. So did you do anything very summary today here? I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think of summary things I did today. I uh, I handed in a marriage license because we had a wedding this weekend. That's kind of wow. summary, right? That is, that uh, is summary. Walked my, walked my kids to the park. Uh, so that was good. So, Great. yeah. No, no margaritas, although I did have a margarita at the reception. So, you know, that's, that's nice. That was good. Dude. Thank, thank the Lord for Lutheran weddings where they serve everybody. Um, That's right. So, it was good. I didn't have, I didn't have 20. I had like you know, two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, they serve responsibly That's right. That's uh, at right. the Missouri Senate weddings. Uh, yeah, so we're really excited to do this. We're actually doing one of the things that I've said is one of the most reformed things about me, which is how much I love Lutherans. And so that's one of the more reformed <laughs> things about me. Um and I can get into why that is. I have a Calvin quote to defend myself with it if I need to uh, <laughs> later on. But yeah, so we are here doing what we've done with a number of things. And we hope to do more often um, with things that are not at the heart of our show, uh, but help, I think would help round out um, uh, just our listeners understanding of Christianity in the Christian world. So we are going to do another five things you should know about Lutheranism. And so as Calvinists, we can only do five things. And there's only five things you really need to know about anything to be anything. And so we continue to force all people and theological traditions into our mold as we continue. And so fortunately, Pastor Eichers was willing um, to humor us and come on and talk to us about um, Lutheran orthodoxy and some of the distinctives of Lutheran theology that if you're an evangelical, uh, if you are reformed and do not have, uh, you aren't from the Wisconsin area where there may be a lot of Lutherans around you, you probably aren't going to be aware of. And so we're excited to do it. Do you want me just to go ahead and start? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's okay. shoot. Let's shoot one. Number one. Okay, sure. Um, and so did you guys, did you guys get, did you guys get the email I sent like a couple of weeks ago with the, the memes? Okay. Just want to make sure. Um, and so for the first one I have, let me pull this up. Um, is uh, like many denominations, you need to decode the Lutheran alphabet soup. And so mm. I, I shared with them uh, different memes. And this is going to be really great audio. 
but it's the meme of the, the <laughs> of the guy looking at the different at the girlfriend that's not his, and then you know the, the girlfriend is all upset. And so you have uh, LCMS is the guy, uh, Wells is the girl that that's upset, and then uh, ALC is the one that's you know walking by. Mm-hmm. Um, so essentially, I mean, um, the, the short of it is uh, today there are three main uh, Lutheran denominations: uh, the Lutheran Church, uh, Missouri Synod, which to which I belong. Uh, there's the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, which uh, is the, the biggest uh, the biggest denomination of Lutheranism. It's also the most liberal. Uh, and then also Wisconsin Synod, Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Synod, uh, which is uh, the, the like it's one of the small. Well, there's lots of little tiny um, synods, uh, but this one would be like the the smallest one that's big enough to be met. I guess well worth mentioning. Sorry, AALC. Um, <laughs> Brutal, it, absolutely brutal. It's yeah, throwing shade already. That's I don't right. think our, our I don't think our listeners know it, but um, I was actually a member of an AALC right yep. congregation. So yeah. So I mean, essentially, you know, again, I I don't know who all your listeners listeners are, but the ELCA would be like the most similar to like the PCUSA, where mm-hmm. it's like they've negotiated, they've they've compromised on many like major doctrines, and so like. You know, they have women clergy, they're, you know, pro-LGBTQ, uh, kind of the presiding bishop uh, has been, you know, on the forefront of like, you know, abortion, we need to have abortion, you know, um, and so, again, I think there's a lot of ELCA people who are upset with the recent uh, overturning of Roe versus Wade, you know, so again, just, you know, I suppose just very liberal, um, uh, they don't believe in the, the inerrancy of they don't believe in the inerrancy of scripture kind of stuff. Again, if you go to individual congregations, it's not even necessarily that everyone is like that, but at least on the, on the, you know, higher level, that's, that's what it is. Um, you said, uh, you said they are the biggest, what are, what is the number breakdown when it sure, comes to yeah. ELCA versus like LCMS? Right. right. Let me, I guess, let me double check those numbers. Um, you know, the ELCA has, uh, on the Wikipedia, the fount of all knowledge is about 3.1 million would be ELCA. LCMS, I want to say, is um, about 2 million. Okay. Um, no, it's okay. 1.8 million, so a little yeah. less. And then Wisconsin Synod, I want to say, my guess would be um, like a, a qu- like three-quarter Three quarter million, but let me guess what the actual number is. No, it's actually 350, uh, 350,000. So sure. again, a lot, a lot smaller, uh, but just worth mentioning, especially because, you know, where Pastor Michael and I are, are people where we live, there's a lot of Wisconsin Synod churches. We are, yeah. can we say where we are? Is that, is that secret? Oh, yeah. I guess, yeah. well, I guess we're in Wisconsin. I said it was in La Crosse, Wisconsin. So yeah, yeah. but. And so and then the LCMS would be kind of, I would say, it's not even that we're middle of the road. You know, I'd say my, my analogy is, you know, ELCA, if it's 100% liberal, you know, maybe LCMS is like 10% and then Wells is 0%. You know, um, we would believe, you know, no, uh, no woman's ordination. We believe in the inerrancy of scripture, you know, six, six literal days of creation. Uh, um, you know, so uh, we're a confessional body, you know, so we, we hold to the Book of Concord, which is our uh, confession book. You know, we believe it, we confess it because it is in line with scripture. Um, and then Wisconsin Synod would be slightly different. They, they are a bit more, uh, they have slightly different views on fellowship. So they're a bit more strict on fellowship. Uh, so Wisconsin Synod people, 
uh, uh, wouldn't pray with other people uh, who are not Wisconsin sedded. I don't know how that exactly, like, again, in practice, I, I don't, to, you just, if you have a, you know, a random Wisconsin sedded person, I don't know if every single person would necessarily hold to that, but especially at the pastoral level. Mm-hmm. And then also they would have no women voters. So our, in our church body, uh, we have a voters assembly, which does a lot of, of the decisions of our, of our congregations. Um, they would not allow women to vote. Um, so again, they would kind of take this idea of headship that, you know, the man, the man of the house will be making the decisions and that they'll, you know, any decision, the, the woman's voice could be heard through, uh, the man, the men of the congregation, you know, they can talk to the men. So those would be the kind of the three main differences, but the, the, the meme would be that, um, back, you know, the Wisconsin Synod and LCMS used to be in, used to be in, in fellowship in like the fifties. But because the LCMS was trying to get in league with what was was a part of the ELCA, of the ALC, um, then the Wells broke off. So broke off from the LCMS because we were, you know, making some poor decisions back in the fifties. But yeah. anyhow, any 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 other questions? I mean, this might hopefully this isn't too academic or no, no, specific. I don't think so. So I'll just give one point of reference for everyone listening. So the PCA, where Pastor Michael is a minister, has a membership of. 378,000. And so just, think, just I think a, we think it's over 400,000 okay. now, but so we don't, the problem, year. the problem is we can't, we don't have like super legit numbers because sure. churches aren't required to report numbers uh, there. They are asked to, uh, sure. but we definitely don't have full numbers. So it, one of the reasons I asked like the breakdown ELCA to LCMS was because um, I was thinking about how this year we, we think it's possible in the PCA that we have um, now for the first time, actually, uh, like we have more people attending on a Sunday than, um, than the PCUSA, the kind of mother church that we broke off from uh, in the seventies. And, but we don't really know because we don't have sure. like a really legit way of counting. And so I was just interested to know, you know, how close is the LCMS to actually taking over ELCA? And I wanted, and I wanted to point it out to so people, our listeners, especially if they're not familiar with Lutheranism, to know that the Reformed are um, even in the largest, more conservative Presbyterian denomination is still significantly smaller uh, yeah. than the Lutheran ones. Yeah. Um, Jacob, let me ask one question, and this might be interesting only to me. So the LCMS is, as the Lutheran Missouri Synod, right? Um, you know, the PCA broke off from the Southern Presbyterian Church. Is this kind of, is this location of the Synod in the Lutheran, the Missouri Synod, just an incident of history, right? That they, they, that they're named after Missouri or, or where does that, where does that locative uh, name come from? Sure. The original name, the LCMS was founded in 1847, you know, so it's been around uh, for, you know, I guess you can do the math for, for over, uh, I guess, 175 or something like that uh, sure. years. And its original name was uh, the, uh, I guess, the, the uh, like Lutheran Church, Lutheran Synod of Missouri, Ohio, and other states. Oh. <laughs> but, but at a certain point, it's like, you can't just like, that can't always be <laughs> You got to cut that, man. You got to cut that out, right? Um, <laughs> but a lot of it boils down to, there was a, a group of Saxon, Saxon immigrants from, you know, from Germany that essentially went to the United States and settled in Missouri. Mm-hmm. And so that's where we get some of the key players, uh, some of the founding fathers like, like C.W. Walther, um, you know, uh, Francis Pieper, and so on, because they settled in Missouri. So St. Louis is sure. our headquarters still, 
um, even though there are, you know, there are LCMS Lutherans across the across the United States, uh, it's because essentially that first immigrant kind of uh, um, group settled in Missouri. Yeah. All right. Well, we better get to these further of the five because they get spicier from here. So let's go to number two. Yeah. Let me look at number two. Um, Lutherans follow the historic liturgy. Um, so we have the the meme of uh, the, the the woman who's angry at a cat. Uh, yep. And so she says, if you tell me, tell, if you tell us to stand and sit one more time, I'm never coming back. And then the cat <laughs> says, the congregation rises for the benediction. <laughs> and, you know, so again, I, I mean, I, I think that uh, every church is a liturgy, you know, in the sense that, you know, unless, I, I mean, you have to really search really far for a church that every single Sunday, you have no idea what to expect. <laughs> but even, even at an evangelical church, there's a liturgy, right? You have, you know, uh, you know, a few praise songs, you know, maybe a 45 minute sermon and then more praise songs, you know, and again, I'm, I'm not a reformed expert, you know, you guys have a liturgy, um, but the Lutheran Church, especially the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, for the most part follows essentially the, the liturgy that was handed down to them from the Catholic Church, you know, so the Latin, the Latin Mass. Uh, it's not, it's not in Latin, uh, but sometimes I get complaints from my parishioners that some of the titles of songs are still in Latin, right? So we, every, <laughs> every week, uh, you know, except for, I guess, in, you know, except in Lent, we sing of the Gloria and Excelsis, you know, which is uh, the, the song sung uh, in Luke 2, you know, with the, the angels in the field. Uh, uh-huh. But it's, you know, Latin for glory to God in the highest, mm-hmm. you know, glory in, in the highest. Uh, after communion, we sing the Nunc Dimittis, which is Latin for now, now dismiss. You know uh, the song of the song of I think of it Sim, uh, Simeon, right? Simeon's song yeah. uh, after he held baby Jesus in his arms. Um, you know, so this this general outline would start with, especially on a communion Sunday. Uh, not not every LCMS church has every Sunday communion. Um, our, ours has you know first, third, and fifth. Um, but uh, on communion Sundays, you know, you start with uh, you know invocation, confession, and absolution of sins. Uh, usually, you know, a few prayers. The readings, uh, we follow a lectionary. So uh, again, similar to the Catholics or perhaps, you know, I'm trying to think whether or not like Methodists, other kinds of Lutherans, we follow a set of, a set, set of readings, you know, so any given Sunday, I can know exactly what readings are going to be. Um, you know, there's an Old Testament reading, an epistle reading and a gospel reading, followed by uh, the sermon, uh, the, the creed, we'll, we'll confess a creed, usually Apostles' Creed or Nicene. Um, then that'll go into uh, the service of the sacrament. So we'll sing, you know, this would be a few prayers, uh, sing a couple, you know, sing the the, the Sanctus, the the, the Agnus Dei. Uh, the, so Sanctus would be uh, the, the song that was sung in Isaiah 6. Uh, Agnus Dei is a kind of a singing of John 1, you know, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Uh, the distribution of communion. And then we have typically the Nuctimidus, a prayer, a blessing. And then that's the end of it. You know, again, this is kind of a very quick yeah. overview, but no, pretty yeah. much no matter what, el- you know, what, even, even if it's Wisconsin Synod or even ELCA, um, you'll have the same outline and it will be fairly similar. If you go to a Catholic church, you can, you might not know every single part. There might be different prayers and songs, but you'll kind of get the outline. Luther was trying to be conservative in how he changed the church. And so he took the approach of let's get rid of things that are actively harming us. Uh, but if it's not actively harming us, let's keep it was essentially his, his doctrine in changing the liturgy in the reformation. Yeah. 
And so you kind of mentioned this, but how much, I mean, if, so some churches do weekly communion, some don't. Um, And how much though variation will you find from LCMS to LCMS church? If you went into different ones, how, I mean, how different would it look? How different would it flow? Right. The, the liturgy or just whether yeah i mean maybe like, more yeah. in general right. um, the liturgy and just you know you walk into a church like you know how how different are they one to another i'm just wondering right. how much how much leeway do you have on an individual church right. level um what it's going to look like yeah i, th- I think we do have a lot of freedom you know I, it's there's not like there's not a you know that the senate president isn't sitting on a golden on a golden throne with an iron scepter saying you have to do it this way you know, I, I think that, you know, you can have churches that that almost, you know, kind of uh, eschew the liturgy altogether. And, and it might you might go into it and say, I didn't know this was an LCMS church. You know, mm-hmm. it might look more look like a non-denominational church. Okay. I think that's not as common, at least in, in my region. You know, a lot of churches are going to have some kind of liturgy, even if it is pared down. Mm-hmm. I would say a lot of a lot of congregations do have some kind of use of the hymnal. But there is some churches that have contemporary worship, you know, so they would sing contemporary, you know, contemporary praise songs. It's more, it's more typical, you know, the church I was growing up in, you know, we had, it was a bigger church, you know, we had maybe five services on a Sunday, um, five services on a weekend, you know, so one on Saturday, one on Monday, three on Sunday, and only one of them was a contemporary worship song, you know, they would have contemporary worship, but it still would have the general outline of the liturgy. Um, But I would say, you know, if you just go into a random LCMS church, um, you're going to get, you know, some kind of, you know, they're probably going to use the hymnal. Um, they're going to use, uh, but there's different within the hymnal, there's even different kinds of settings, you know, so it's slightly different, different tunes, whatnot. I would say, you know, we are fairly uniform, but there's going to be enough variation from place to place that, you, you know, you can't just kind of like sleep through the service and know exactly what to expect. Does, does that kind of make, I mean, does that answer yeah. your question? You think yeah, it's, that's it's, helpful. I, yeah. I was just wondering, you know, from church to church, right. how much variation there is. So that's yeah. helpful. Yeah, I would say that they, in my experience, they're going to tend to have less um, variation than, for example, the PCA would, um, just in my experience um, with them. I, I think the other thing, too, uh, there are diff- there were different principles in, in what reformed worship, uh, in how we reformed worship uh, with Luther and then the reformed. I think the other thing, though, is that what people, what our listeners need to one just thing i want them to point here when you give this brief overview of worship before we move on is how much scripture is sung and read and prayed Mm -hmm. um it is yeah it is uh it is my wife who was raised lutheran um one of the wonderful things is is how much scripture she has almost accidentally memorized right Mm -hmm. just because of the amount of psalm psalmody that is included in lutheran worship obviously um the ones that are saying um regularly we as a family so we still sing um the section of uh psalm 51 that is used in confession and absolution we sing that to this day so as i've mentioned my uh i think that it is something to be people to note and so i do believe my praising this element of lutheran liturgy brings us to your third one and so let's uh let's go to number three (laughs) which is one of my favorite um we'll say uh ecumenical memes uh you use to support it so why don't you tell 
get bring our bring our listeners the bad news uh, yeah sure jacob yeah and i i don't know enough star trek to know exactly who these people are but there's this lady right. who, who asks are you two friends and it's a star trek meme and the the, the one guy's like uh yes and the I caption i wrote is reformed uh and then the guy behind him says no and it's lutherans and then they the, the third frame is them giving each other a dirty look yeah you know and so i mean i i think so the kind of my explanation this is really seems really obscure um but and it's not it's not this one event i think it just kind of shows you a bigger picture of of lutherans and reformed uh so number three is the prussian union of 1817 has taught lutherans to hold themselves distinct from other protestants you know i, I think this is especially true of my church body of of more conservative confessional lutherans and part of this is almost evolutionary in the sense of like mm-hmm. If you were open to the reformed, you're probably not Lutheran anymore. And you might be not reformed anymore. You might just be kind of this third, you know, this mm-hmm. kind of third thing, you know, um, and essentially the story, and that's the whole story, right? In a lot of Lutherans in America are, are uh, German mm-hmm. and in Germany in the 1800s, essentially Friedrich, uh, uh, Friedrich Wilhelm III um, saw that there was Catholics and reformed and Lutherans. And uh, on the in, and said there's, that's too many denominations, um, you know. And I think and again, in a certain sense, all of us want unity. Um, we I don't think we we don't love the fact there's a million, you know, hundreds of denominations. Um, but you know, on the 300th anniversary of the Reformation, his contribution was we're just going to make the Lutherans and the Reformed into a new thing called the Evangelicals. And so what that meant was he basically gave them a, a book, a, a book of church order or like a book of church services called an agenda, you know, mm-hmm. so just kind of the services you follow. And he said, you both are going to use this, whether you like it or not. And some of them were fine. Um, but so one example was instead of, instead of the, instead of Lutheran saying, take eat, this is the body, the true body of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, when they distributed the, the, the bread, um, they were, they were to say, Jesus Christ says, this is my body, mm. you know? And so, because uh, they didn't want to offend people with, you know, differing views on the real presence, um, that kind of thing. And so uh, that's, I mean, understandably that upset some Lutherans. Um, and so there was a, basically a group of Lutherans that resisted. Some of them were, you know, um, jailed. Some, you know, uh, I don't think anywhere executed, but at least, you know, jailed, defrocked. And so part of, mm. for part of that from that came my group of Lutherans who then left Germany, went to the new world, for religious freedom you know so even baked into our our I, I guess again we have something called the synod handbook which is you know uh maybe not the most exciting reading but it's a lot of like our constitution of bylaws of our of our denomination but like on the first you know first pages uh to be a member of synod uh whether you be a congregation or a pastor part of being a member of synod is rejecting union something called unionism you know so this idea of not just reformed but you know uh, just going along with Methodists or Episcopalians or Catholics or something like that, you know, so being essentially distinctively Lutheran and again, baked into our DNA was what, you know, uh, what was taken away from us, you know, um, in that, in back in Germany. And I think that again, the Lutheran churches that survived were the ones to, who, even despite the fact they were in America in the frontiers, maybe there wasn't a hundred churches in the town but saying, you know, we, we, we are different, although we, we do respect, we do respect the reformed. Uh, we have to kind of do our own thing um, because there are, there are significant differences, you know? So I, I mean, any, any questions on that? I, I don't want to give an entire, like, 
So oh. I think as we consider just the history and the point of this is as we consider the history of Protestantism, um, maybe people are asking like, why aren't the Lutherans, like the Lutherans are kind of like that one kid on the playground who doesn't play with anybody, you know, and, it's, and so the reason, right, which is okay, like I'm, I'm okay with that, you know, that joke, um, but it's just because, you know, in a sense, because we want to be separate because we've had these bad experiences kind of being smushed mm-hmm. into things we don't think we belong to. And yeah, so, there's, a lot so of, there's a cultural history right. behind it. So like, right. um, you know, a lot of people point to the, uh, you know, kind of cultural history of a lot of Presbyterianism being in Scotland, this place that's always at war and constantly trying to defend its borders against those that are larger and more powerful than them. And, and that then coming into the new world, being a kind of like, hey, we're just ready to fight no matter what kind of mentality. Um, so that, you know, I, that's just one example, maybe of, of where you might see that same kind of cultural history. Here's what I think is, is really helpful about that is because I think what most non-Lutherans look back to as to, Hey, why don't the Lutherans like try and join it? Now I will, I will go ahead and recommend people find a way to stumble into Lutheran, uh, Twitter. Uh, if you find people (laughs) with Buffalo meme, uh, the little Buffalo image in there, profile you're on your way i don't totally get the joke but that's okay but i i recommend finding it um it's it's an interesting corner of the internet but um i think there is uh i think what you shared is that this is that this history of why lutherans you know i don't know the negative word would be sectarian or why they why they kind of hold back is is more than lutheran is more than when Luther um, ousted Zwingli as hard as he could, right? Like that there is, that history has went on and there are other reasons and other cultural pressures they've faced that have caused them to take the path that they've taken, which I think is helpful because the, for example, the American Presbyterians, right? They had a very different thing being here, you know, at the founding um, and having, they having the instinct that they should be able to unite and then every single battle being over okay we united with these people and it caused all these problems what are we going to do now right like (laughs) that would be my that would be my one sentence um history of american presbyterianism hope we made friends with the uh first great awakening and now we don't like any of it so what do we do now you know all of these kinds of things and so right it, it it's an it makes sense that, for example, uh, just to give an example, right, the PCA just voted to leave the National Association of Evangelicals, right? They joined that association, you know, at its founding and whenever, and they just left, right? The Lutherans, they've never, they've, right, they, they've never had this kind of identification with the modern, not the, you know, the historic use of the term evangelical, but the modern evangelical movement. And so, um, and so I just think that that is, yeah, is is a I think that that further history is interesting and helpful. Um, and right, it's fair to say, you know, to, in in diff, like in fairness to Lutheranism at large, you know, it's not as though Lutherans are as monolithic. I mean, there are different. There's tons of Lutheran little Lutheran synods in in, in American history, you know, and, and it's just we're kind of one strain that is a bit more, you know, uh, I guess high fidelity or you know, kind of we have these boundaries of like these are the confessional boundaries. And in some ways, it, it it's a two way street, right? It's like people are afraid to to talk to you. They they go they go they cross the street when they see you on the street, 
right? But like once you're right. part of the club, and it sounds bad to say the club, but once you're on the in circle, like it's really you know you really feel like you belong, right? Mm. Um, yeah. Whereas like other the, basically the Lutheran churches that were in the ELCA have been historically maybe more open to those things. But then the, the kind of the, the, the blowback is not being able to let out or, or to keep out those things that would be harmful, you know, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think, yeah. I think a lot about, I mean, again, I think, I, I think a lot about, you had a conversation, I don't know what episode it was, but it was like, you know, one extreme, you almost like use like allergic, right? It, it, you, the, the one, the bad extreme is if you're so sensitive about heresy mm. that you can have an allergic reaction, right? That's not good. Yeah. But also you don't want to have like, it's like an immune system, right? You don't want to be so open yeah. to things that you get, you catch right. every bug that, that gets, that gets sent your way. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. And, yeah, and a, even though I, conf- I know Jacob is making himself sound like he's uh, not fun to, to uh, hang out with, but, <laughs> but we should remember <laughs> I met Jacob because he came out of his way to right. meet me because I was reading John Calvin. So. Right. And, and it's, and it is important, right? Again, when we both have a confessional tradition, right? This is, this is part of it figuring out how to navigate that mm-hmm. value is important. But this is also, again, why I always tell people that one of the most reformed things about me is, is my appreciation for Lutherans is because <laughs> Calvin was once asked about Luther having obviously um, uh, separated ties with the, the, the reform movement. And, and Calvin said something like, you know, if that man would damn me to hell as a demon, I would still call him an apostle of the Holy gospel. Right. Like that. He's like it, he, it just shows, it's just interesting because he had an understanding of Luther has a reason for his opinion, but I Mm -hmm. still see the, the scriptural wisdom he's bringing to bear. And so um, let's, let's, let's keep going because again, they keep getting, they keep getting better and, and things, um, and uh, we're gonna Matt, we can can we put memes in the show? Oh, yes. How do we we'll share find a way these? to do that? Okay, we'll we're find gonna a find a way to, to share all oh, of definitely. these one oh, way yeah. or right. another. And so I, I can say I think I, I think at this point I have to at least credit there's like a Lutheran memes page on Facebook. So I st- I stole the last two from there. Uh, but it just it just gets spicier and spicier, you know, because that's great. You, you gotta you gotta get you gotta get the keep the listeners hooked. That's and so right. um this, you know, this this will be, you know, shots fired. But number four is pedo baptism is credo baptism, um, and so the meme is, uh, you know, the the two astronauts looking at the globe, which is Ohio, and uh, you know, so the guy in front says, "Wait, so baptism actually saves?" And the guy with the gun says, "Always has." <laughs> so again, I I suppose, um, just I think it's fair to say that, just in general, when when I I, I was part of a, a crew in in in, uh, in high school and college. You know, so I hung out with a lot of evangelicals. A lot of my Christian friends were evangelicals. So, you know, I'd sit in on all these conversations between kind of more reform, you know, more Calvinistic evangelicals versus more Arminian evangelicals. And there's always like these two sided debates of like, do you believe in Arminianism versus Calvinism? Do you believe in, you know, infant baptism versus, you know, credo baptism? And like the thing about Lutherans is a lot of times like their position is like neither, like they're, it's like neither of them, right? So, mm-hmm. like, we're, we're monergistic. Like we believe that you cannot accept Jesus Christ through your own reason or strength. Mm-hmm. But we also believe that you can like, you can use your will to essentially commit theological suicide and then reject the faith. Right. So um, like, we're not really Arminian in that way because we can't accept Christ. We're mm-hmm. also not Calvinist, you know, we don't, I, and again, maybe there's a nuance to, to even a, a reform view of, of double predestination. Right. But, but we wouldn't, we would, we would chafe against the idea of God damning people, or essentially predestining people to hell. Mm-hmm. Right. And again, 
you know, you, you guys are the experts on that. But so then same thing with baptism, right? We, you know, I, I sat in on, on Matt's presentation a few weeks back about kind of the reform view of why you baptize babies. And like, I'm obviously, I'm all for baptizing babies, but we would say that essentially like, uh, you don't, you know, we, we, everyone we baptize is a believer. Uh, and again, that kind of makes people, maybe if, again, you have to kind of def define that differently. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, my, my eight month old son, I believe is a Christian. He's not someone who is going to become a Christian one day. He is a believer. You know, my four-year-old daughter uh, hasn't, you know, she hasn't prayed the sinner's prayer because we don't really believe that, but, you know, she, you know, I believe she's a Christian, you know, she knows that Jesus died for her sins. So, and again, a couple, I actually have Bible passages. We do actually believe in the Bible uh, as Lutherans, <laughs> believe no, it or not. Free, that's one for free. Um, that's a you know, six for free. You just sneak in. <laughs> in there, yeah. Uh, right. Yeah, that's right. But, you know, so, so, I mean, you look at something like um, Psalm 71, um, for you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth, upon you I've leaned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. Uh, Matthew 21, 16. Uh, and they said to him, do you, hear, uh, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to him, uh, said to them, yes, have you never heard out of the mouths of infants and, and I can't speak, out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. Um, you know, again, we would even point to John the Baptist in, in, in uh, mm -hmm. Elizabeth's womb, leaping at the meeting, greeting of Mary. You know, so we would say that baptism bestows, uh, you know, forgiveness, life, and salvation. It is a, a, a bestows faith on those who receive it, especially, I mean, especially infants. And then that, but that infant, that infant faith has to then grow. You know, you can't mm -hmm. just be like, you can't just go like para drop down into a remote village in India, baptize a whole bunch of babies and then say your work's done here. Right. We would look at like something like Matthew 28, you know, um, and again, see if you have some Greek nerds here. What's the one command? What's the one imperative in Matthew 28? You guys make know disciples. The... Make disciples. Yeah, right. Okay, yeah. Thanks, Matt. Yep. You're welcome. So the, the imperative is make disciples. Everything else is subservient to that, right? So make, right. He, Jesus is telling us, how do you make disciples? As you're going, um, be teaching and baptizing. And we would say the order, don't sweat the order. You know, so uh, baptize and then teach in the case of infants. And then again, keep on, you know, or, or in the case of adults, you teach and then you baptize. Mm -hmm. We would say that, again, faith would be something maybe almost different than what a Baptist would say. It's not about confessing your faith in words for infants, uh, but hopefully you would grow into that. Faith yeah. is trust. And even a mother, you know, a baby knows, a baby knows um, who his mother is without being able to explain that. We think that infants, baptize infants, um, from from baptism have a very basic and simple faith that then grows up into a fully orbed you know fully formed christian faith mm. so let me ask you the question that um are there are at least a group of our listeners sure. now go, <laughs> now thinking right how is that different than what the catholics say about baptism Right. So th this idea of ex opere operato, you would say? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. This like this, right, this the they're they're they would they have this. I'll just say when I speak to evangelicals, of which most yeah. of our listeners would identify, right? When they hear the Lutheran presentation on baptism to any degree, I think most of them go, 
I think they have no difference with Catholics and they don't under, they would not. Um, and I defend you guys from that. So I, right. I continue to be a friend to the, to the people right, who. So, so then maybe just so we're on the same page, explain to me how you would, you know, what would, what would you say the Catholic mm-hmm. view of baptism would be? Yeah. So it's obviously um, this, this idea of ex opera operato that the, right. the, the, the sacrament saves um, regard, um, regardless of the subject at all um right or they would say um and i i don't want to speak out of turn for them i believe they would say that baptism justifies right that they believe that like the baptized are you know receive the gift of are justified and so right um yeah so i'm just wondering and again you don't need to and again right it i'm not asking you to denounce everything catholics say right because no Christian should denounce, I, as I made, as I commented in that presentation, no Christian should denounce everything Catholics say mm-hmm. about baptism, um, because none of us denounce their practice of baptizing infants in the triune name, right? Right. Even Baptists wouldn't, you know, deny that. But how would you just, I'm just asking, right. how would you, for someone trying to understand your view, distinguish it from Roman, Roman Catholicisms? Right. And so, again, I, I suppose te- um, we would, I guess... I would say that uh, baptism would, for infants at least, would bestow upon it justification, you know, in that mm-hmm. sense. It does actually give a real gift. Um, I think the the difference perhaps would be that faith faith apprehends those gifts, right? So, yeah. um, you know, if you if you baptize a baby uh, in that moment, that baby could would truly be saved. But if you don't take the kid to church, you don't take him to Sunday school, you just live like a pagan the rest of your life, you know, you no longer have the faith to apprehend those gifts, right? So that, that baptism is not going to do anything for you um, if you if you don't have the faith to receive that. So that baptism is it, baptism does grant that faith to begin with, but that is also the start of a life of growing that faith through continual application of the word, um, and then the sacrament of of a holy communion when when one one is, I guess, admitted to the altar. So again, I, I would say, you know, it would be different. Uh, so too also, you know, we would say that Luther, what does, what does such baptism, what does such baptism with water indicate? You know, we would say that baptism indicates a lifetime of, um, um, of turning from sin and rising again. You know, baptism indicates, you know, every day I, I live my baptism by turning from sin, dying to my old self, rising into new life. Whereas I think technically, if you, if you were to have a Catholic, a scholastic Catholic on here, they would say that baptism would essentially remove the stains of original sin. It would only do so much good up to a point until you sinned. And then you're kind of, you had to rely on penance. Uh, you know, you uh, to, to work kind of, the sacramental system yeah, right, from there. Right, right. We would say that baptism is kind of a reciprocal, a, a, re- a regressional return to uh, to faith, to turning from sin. So. Yeah. Hopefully, I get. I guess I, I don't have a problem with saying, especially in infants, that baptism grants justification. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also want to say to people like it's not a one, in, it's not a ticket. It, you know, it, it isn't an excuse not to live as a Christian the rest of your life. Right. Well, I'm I'm happy to know that the exact defense of Lutheran's uh, view of baptism is the one I give. Right. That okay. I that it is um, granting faith. That mm-hmm. it is right. It it. Um, I don't know if the right word is when the water is applied, it, it right. grants faith infallibly. And that is why you're justified because you, you have faith. You're in a state of having faith. Right. Whereas Catholics don't, because it's ex operato operato, the they're saying it does. The church has given you this grace. It doesn't, 
you're you don't app- you're not apprehending a promise, right? It doesn't matter. And then of course the secondary thing is that it is the beginning of working a sacramental system. And so right. so just so my uh all of our evangelical listeners know, you may not like what Jacob just said, and that's right. okay. You don't but he is not violating it would be it would be a fascinating thing for a Lutheran and Luther, in fact, himself, <laughs> who held this to violate justification by faith alone, which right, uh, right, he in fact um, propounded and held to. And so, Pastor Michael, do you want to ask anything on this uh, old Presbyterian minister um, before we uh, go on to number five? No, just looking at the time, I think we should go on. Um, I think this would be a fun thing to revisit sometime uh, because I think. Um, for instance, if you look at, you know, especially some of the earlier uh, uh, reformers, um, and even those that, you know, we would trace, you know, kind of reform Presbyterian back, Presbyterianism back to, there's actually a significant overlap in how baptism is described. I think that over time, we've kind of worked out a few uh, of the nuances that we'd want to uh, push back on and, you know, say, okay, well, this isn't quite right. Here's why. Uh, but I think we should save that for another time. This is all we're about Lutheranism today. (laughs) There we go. Yeah. yeah. Great. So let's do number five and uh, take us home. Sure. Yeah. Um, You're welcome to worship with Lutherans, but you likely won't be able to commune at a conservative Lutheran church without being taught first. And so, so the meme is, I don't know, this this is like, I'll just describe it and you can look at the picture. The first frame is, will we find intelligent life? Could it be right (laughs) here on earth? Could it be this man? And it's just a, a man with a beard. And then they zoom in on this man and he says, sure, I haven't been to church since my grandmother took me to Christmas Eve mass when I was 11. But let me tell you why the church is wrong for denying communion to anyone. Uh, The search continues. So, again, you can look at this when you're when you're done driving or you're vacuuming or whatever. But again, so we we practice something called, again, either called closed communion or close communion, I I guess. I don't I think it's kind of a a distinction without a difference. But this idea of essentially except in perhaps extraordinary circumstances the only people who are welcome to commune at a lutheran church an lcms church even would be lcms lutherans or you know people in fellowship with them so you know if i mean aalc is in fellowship with us um any one of our sister bodies across the globe um but essentially and again that that would be closed communion would be i don't know if it's a unique Lutheran thing but um, certainly not, maybe not what evangelicals are used to, uh, or in their in their churches. Um, and so, I, I guess where do you, I suppose what would be a good place to go, go from there? How how do you want me to explain it? Well, I want to know. Um, so you know, um, there's there's a spectrum within the reform world on right. open and closed communion. Um, you know, I think generally um, it is uh, open open, but cautious. I don't, I don't know the best mm-hmm. word for it. You yeah. know, we, so for instance, in, this is what I want to know. I want to know how you go about actually then fencing the table. Um, so for instance, right. you know, in our church, we would welcome anybody to communion who has basically professed faith, been baptized and are in, uh, you know, a gospel preaching church. They're not under discipline mem- in, in other words, good standing. Right. Yeah, a member in good standing is the word that we use. Um, and so um, when we, you know, we say that, you know, and so we, we tell people every time we take communion, we will say that we will say, Hey, if, like, if you're not these things, we don't want you to come forward and take communion. Right. Um, but if you are, it's just not at this particular church. 
where you'd be welcome. So for instance, if you were at our church, you would be welcome to come forward and right. take communion um, because I know, I know, you know, I know um, you would meet these criteria. Um, how do you, with a close communion, how right. do you go about fencing that? Sure. And I think every, every Lutheran pastor is going to do it slightly differently. You know, um, I, I, I guess I can explain to you how, how I do it um, at our church. I guess part of Typical, what I'm asking too is right. just how, like, how careful are you to really sure. observe that? Right. And so um, I, I guess, so I can read you my communion statement. So if you go to our church on a communion Sunday, I'll just read what we have in our bulletin. Uh, the Lord's Supper is celebrated at this congregation in the confession and glad confidence that in communion, we receive not only the bread and wine, but Christ's very body and blood to eat and to drink for the forgiveness of sins. Our Lord invites all those who trust his words, repent of sin, and set aside any refusal to forgive and love uh, as he forgives and loves us. Holy communion is a confession of faith, which is confessed at this altar. Those who eat and drink the, our Lord's body and blood unworthily do so to their great harm. Any who are not yet instructed or confirmed uh, in doubt or holds a, different holds a confession differing from this congregation and the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, and yet desire to, to receive this, re yet desire to receive the sacrament, are asked first to speak with a pastor. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, basically, I we have that every Sunday. Um, I don't, I don't every every Sunday we have communion. I should say, um, I don't always just like I don't like we have it in the bulletin. Like read the read this communion mm -hmm. statement. Uh, typically, what I try to do is I try to talk to people as they come in, and yeah. uh, kind of see where they're coming from, um, and like you know, explain our policy and say, you know, mm -hmm. so like last Sunday, there was somebody who I talked to and, and, you know, he came from a background of a Baptist church. And I said, oh, we have a new member class starting this Wednesday. We'd really love to come, but for now we can't have you commune. You're welcome to participate in all the rest of the service, uh, but we can't commune you, um, you know, and, and, and then, you know, the, the, the question becomes like, what happens if like somebody, so the question that, is, that maybe a lot of LCMS pastors would differ on would be what to do when someone comes like, five minutes after the bell rings, you know? And so, so some of the more, you know, I guess some Lutheran pastors would say, well, I'll just talk to them at the altar or like, they'll be at the altar realm. Like, are you Lutheran? Or like, mm -hmm. you know, so, I mean, I think, <laughs> yeah. again, I don't, I don't think, I think that's a, a very, you know, if you, if you believe what Lutherans believe that it is mm -hmm. truly Christ's body and blood truly yeah. present. Right. Um, I think that's a valid thing to ask. Yeah. Um, typically my policy is I'll give someone the benefit. I'll, I'll give, I'll assume someone read the communion policy, mm -hmm. even if they came late. I will, you know, uh, serve them communion and then I'll do follow-up, you know? So yeah. usually there's some kind of information they leave behind and uh, then, you know, I can kind of hopefully have some kind of, you know, like get by coffee or call them afterwards and be like, Hey, where, where are you coming from? And just, cause it's never, you know, it's never easy. I, I feel like pastorally, I don't feel comfortable like having a conversation in front of a whole bunch of people at, at an altar <laughs> rail, you know? Uh, but you know, some people, some some of my colleagues would disagree on that being the best mm -hmm. practice. I just think pastorally, that's I think the best way to go forward. Yeah. You know, so I mean, I think so. Essentially, again, the way I explain close communion to my you know people in new member classes or whatever is essentially there's two aspects to communion. So close communion. There's the vertical aspect. You know, so we look at we look at something like First Corinthians eleven. Um, you know, so uh, eleven verse twenty seven and onwards. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning uh, the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. Mm -hmm. You know, so again, 
hermeneutically, probably people are yelling at their TV or whatever, their earbuds or whatever right now, we would take 29 quite literally to understand that the person needs to discern that Christ's body and blood are truly present in the meal. And failure to do so would bring judgment upon them. You know, so uh, between you and God, right? So that's the vertical aspect uh, where if you don't believe in the real presence, we believe this is going to be a meal where Christ is truly present, but Christ is truly present for harm rather than good. So we don't want to, it's like, you know, I wouldn't just raid my, you know, my dad's medicine cabinet and just take random pills in the same way. I wouldn't want to give someone something that I think is going to hurt them spiritually yep. based on what we believe is happening in the Lord's supper. And then, the, so that's, that's the vertical. And then the horizontal would be, you know, we wouldn't, again, I, I know I'm, I'm doing such a great advertisement for making Lutheran sound so friendly and jovial. <laughs> we are really, we are really friendly and jovial, but they <laughs> really are like, like, I, I think you just, I mean, we're talking about differences between Lutherans and reformed. Yeah. And again, we believe like we believe this is super important. We believe this is a key part of the gospel. But if someone from the ELCA, for example, they would believe in the real presence, right? They would believe in in uh, that Christ's body and blood is truly present in the meal. But then we also understand that communion is not just with us and God, but it's with us and one another. You know, mm-hmm. so you look at something like First Corinthians 10. Um, you know, so, uh, uh, you know, starting at verse 16, the cup of blessing that we bless is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Mm-hmm. Because there is one bread, we who are many who are one body, uh, for we all partake of one bread. And likewise, I, I don't have the passage in front of me, but it's either 1 Corinthians 10 or 11. Uh, for as long as, as long as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You know, so we see the Lord's Supper as a, both a, a communion of, of one another, as well as a proclamation of our beliefs. You know, so... If there is someone who is communing from an ELCA church, essentially we're by by joining by having them join us, they are essentially we're essentially condoning the errors the ELCA teaches. You know, so uh, and so I, and either, I can kind of argue it two ways, right? Either someone from the ELCA is lying about what the ELCA teaches, saying I don't actually believe that homosexuality is okay, or someone you know, so like they were essentially their their confession isn't matching ours. So either they're being false to their confession. Or we're being false to our confession, you know, and so yeah. so we we understand the communion is a confession of faith. Yeah, let let me give one practical difference and then one theological difference of having been in a Lutheran church and right. watching Michael fence the table. Here are the two. Here's the practical difference, right? Michael says, "Yeah, I fence the table. I tell people that you know here are the requirements to come." Lutherans, at least LCMS, and I think most conservative Lutherans, right. They tend that they usually have some kind of a statement that is like, hey, if you are unsure, please come talk to a pastor, right? Sometimes it's as explicit as what Jacob read sometimes, again, right? Because pastors differ on how they think the, what the pastoral wisdom is. But whereas Michael says, I'm going to announce the requirements, the Lutheran pastors tend to say they request you to speak to the pastor if you are, um, if there might be. A question. The the second, then that, that's the practical difference of how these things work out. And then the theological difference is, as Michael said, we welcome any, he says, we welcome anyone from a gospel preaching church. That is a different requirement for the table than what obviously Jacob read in with their understanding of what it means to discern the body, right? Well, and you see it in uh, just, you know, I mean, this is just true in, you know, our uh, membership too, right? So to be a member 
of our church, for instance, pretty much it, you know, I mean, there, there are some who maybe couldn't, but the vast majority of, you know, Christians could be members in our church based on the, I mean, we have a very limited, uh, limited doctrinal uh, statement, basically, that you have to profess in order to become a member. Um, whereas, you know, you are going to have, uh, you know, uh, a full subscription to uh, your confession. Um, so there you see the same kind of thing, right? That, you know, w- what that kind of more openness versus, you know, being a bit more closed um, kind of looks like. Although, you know, I mean, people think we're crazy. So <laughs> I don't know what they think of you, but like, right. you know, all my evangelical friends think we're way too crazy with this kind of stuff. Right. You know, I, I think part of this is just once you, whether it's PCA or, or, you know, just any kind of confessional church, I think sometimes we think like that these are somehow like, why, why, like someone from evangelical church that says, just believe the Bible or, you know, just, you know, just believe these basic things, you know, why are there all these barriers to be becoming a member? Why are you making this harder to like, it's easier to like, I don't know, like adopt a child than it is to join your, I mean, it's okay. Not that, not that bad, but like, (laughs) you know, it's like, um, like the point is that, especially in the Lutheran church, right. Speaking for myself, doctrine is, you know, I remember from, from the, the day that I got my call that the pastor preached a sermon that, you know, uh, at the call service, he said, you know, doctrine is the rope that we're hanging on above the, above the abyss. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and do you, how you, you want to just, you want to be bungee jumping with just one little elastic cord, or do you want to, you want to have as many ropes as you can tying you to the rock that you're not going to fall into the abyss. Right. So, mm-hmm. All of this, you know, closed communion, having, you know, we're starting a kind of a 10 week new member class, uh, you know, t- 10, 10 hour new member class for those who haven't previously been a part of Lutheran church. You know, all of this is in service of making sure that those who join our church know the gospel, that they know all the aspects of the gospel, all its facets, including baptism, including the Lord's Supper, including the, the three, the, you know, who God is, right? Uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All of all the closed communion is in service of me sitting down with someone across a table with coffee saying, what do you believe? How can I overcome some of your doubts? How can I make sure that you are the healthiest person possible spiritually? Um, and all of these might seem like there's bar- they're barrier to the gospels, but these are fences, you know, fences that keep someone in once they're a Christian, right? Um, I, I think that it might be that you have a lot of evangelicals join, you know, have, you know, hundreds of people joining the evangelical church, but you also have hundreds of people leaving the evangelical church. I think these confessions and these doctrines uh, keep us in the true faith. Um, and, and so again, all of this is in service of whether it be uh, having our members, you know, sign a, sign a more robust uh, belief statement, whether it be um, having closed communion all of it is in service of having that conversation of why we believe what we believe and, and, you know, why we're willing to die for it, you know? So again, if that, I guess that's my, that's my jovial. That's my, that's my good news as to why we are kind of, seems like we have kind of, you know, uh, like we're sitting on tax. <laughs> no, and that's great. And I think we should leave it there now that we have completed what I think is a great audition tape for the new white horse in, I think the three of us would do a, <laughs> would do a great uh, uh, a weekly conversation that way. So thank you, Pastor Jacob Eichers, for joining Restless tonight. I hope everyone has learned five things about Lutheranism, and we will catch you next time.
this has been our trial episode of the White Horse Inn, where a Lutheran winsomely explains why Lutherans aren't winsome. We hope you enjoyed it. Download, share this show. We'd love it. We'll do more of this content on Patreon, and we'll catch you later.